this time. I pray that the Lord will reveal to me something new about Easter, or not necessarily something new, but something different for me. And this year, the phrase that the Lord has kind of revealed to me that is important for me this Easter is that Easter is an amazing thing. The fact that Jesus is raised from the dead is an unbelievable thing for me because it means that change is really possible in my life. You know, there are times, a lot of times, when if I'm honest with myself, I'm pretty disappointed in who I am. Now, some of that disappointment is trivial stuff. I mean, um, I wish I maybe had a more muscular physique. I wish I could dunk a basketball, you know, those kind of things. I wish I could sing. Uh, I mean, I can sing, but you just don't want to hear me sing. I wish I had a voice that I could use. You know, sometimes it's it's stuff that, that is silly. I, I was playing golf on Friday, and uh, I took Eli with me for the first time. And we were out there, and we were on about the fourth green, and I had a very makeable four, three, four-foot putt, okay, three, four, five, just makeable, just a little turn. And I putted it, and it went right to the edge and stayed out. Well, in my frustration, I yelled something, nothing inappropriate, nothing wrong. I just, you know, grunted or yelled, and Eli said, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just disappointed in myself. I get frustrated with myself. And I thought, well, how silly is that to get frustrated over a putt? Those of you on the golf course, it's not that silly. You mean you do it. But some things are kind of silly that I get disappointed and some maybe are neurotic i mean <laughs> I, I get worried sometimes about what people think of me even people i don't know i get worried about what they think uh, so maybe there's some self-absorption there i mean um, there are times when when uh, you know i get on facebook and facebook has kind of become the year-round class reunion right and so you get on Facebook and you're worried about what people think or see on there and what people are saying. And, you know, at class reunions, you always kind of uh, dress yourself up. You, you try to act maybe a little better than you are. And so you kind of get that feeling. But sometimes my uh, disappointment goes deeper. Uh, sometimes when I'm at night and I'm putting my kids to bed, I think about the dad I want to be. I think about the dad that I want to be to them, the father that I always dreamed of being. And I, I have this desire to create moments of magic with my boys and with my little girl. You know, moments where I have them laughing until they're crying. Moments where I read a story to them and it just jumps off the page and becomes just real in their minds. Moments when we have slow, meaningful talks about what life is really all about. And oftentimes, after I put them to bed, I reflect on the day, the day when I walked in and Eli and Luke were arguing about who got to play with a particular Lego. And instead of taking that moment to teach them about conflict resolution, I just yelled and walked away. Or I think about at the supper table when we were having a good time talking or things were going on and one of the boys accidentally knocked over a drink and it spills. And I begin to get on to them as if that's a character flaw they have. About how that I, instead of spending those moments before they went to sleep and really connecting and making one of those magic moments, I kind of rushed them into bed because I just wanted a few moments' peace of my own. It's not just those kind of disappointments that come. It's disappointments of not being the 
husband I need to be or the friend or the neighbor or the pastor or just a human being in general. It's when things frustrate me that shouldn't have any place frustrating me. It's when I know something's going to happen and I still get upset that it happens. It's when things out of my control mess up my day. I get disappointed in who I am. I get disappointed that I still love God so little and find sins so intriguing. I get disappointed in the fact that I am not the person that I think I should be. You know, uh, John Ortberg tells in his book uh, uh, about life change that he remembers being a child and looking at adults and thinking they've got it all figured out. They know what they want to be and they are exactly who they want to be. And he said, the older I get, the more I realize that is as far from the truth as possible. And one of the things that I love about Easter is that it makes this idea that we don't have to stay like we are. I mean, the whole point of Easter is that Jesus came out of the grave, and He came out of the grave not just to say, hey, look, I can do it. He came out of the grave to transform you and me into people that are glorifying God with our lives. So this morning, I want you to look with me, if you've got a Bible, at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to talk about what the resurrection means for change in our lives. And the truth is, I hope that each one of you in this room today are farther along your path than what I've just described. But my guess is that there are a lot of us in this room today that are in need of some change. And so we're going to talk about what Christ has done and how we can tap in to what He's done. Romans chapter 6. Just to give you a little background here, the writer of Romans, Paul, has been talking a lot about what we need to do in order to receive salvation from God. He's been talking a lot about our sins, the things that we do bad, and what Christ has done in paying for them in His death on the cross and His resurrection. And we get to chapter 6, and he wants to answer some questions they may have. And the first question is that we don't need to just keep sinning so that God's grace will abound. It seems like a strange question, but there were those that thought that might be the case. And so in verse 1 he says, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he says in verse 2, by no means. Now let me just tell you, in the uh, language that Paul used, when he says by no means, that's about as strong as you can say something without being censored. Okay? He says, absolutely not, no way. We died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, we too may have new life. First thing I want you to notice this morning as we kind of walk through this is that God is in the transformation business. Part of what God is constantly doing is He is transforming us. That God is at work in your life and in mine in an attempt to transform us. Now, one of the things that we need to realize is there's a reason that He wants to transform us, and it's the reason that we exist in the first place. The first reason that you and I exist is to give glory to God, to praise Him, and to serve Him. The problem is that you and I have chosen not to do that. And so the only way that God could bring us back to Himself was to send His only Son, Jesus, who died and rose again. And then the point of all of that is that His death, burial, and resurrection is that He provided a way for us to be transformed. 
Now, the truth is God has been in the transformation business from early on. And I want you to understand something. When I say transformation here, I mean completely different. When I was growing up, there was a popular toy that has come back in the last few years called Transformers. Anybody here have Transformers, had Transformers? All right. There are a few of us, all right? We'll meet afterwards and have a nerd convention, all right? I love Transformers. One of my first memories of of Christmas is that Santa brought me Optimus Prime, the major Transformer. I tell this story often. I may have told it here before, but the first morning I got it, the first thing I did, I went to transform Optimus from a truck into a robot. And the first thing I did was broke his leg. All right? Those of you heard me tell this before, I broke his leg, and so the only good thing to do when you've broken his leg is to put it back in the package as if it's new, take it up to your brother, tell him to transform it so he gets in trouble for breaking the leg, right? But they called them transformers, but in reality, they weren't really transformers. They went from a truck to a robot, but they still looked basically the same. The idea behind a transformation that we're talking about here is literally the idea behind something like a butterfly. It's spring, and so we like to think about those kind of things. But it it still amazes me to this day that you see a caterpillar on the ground, that it will be the butterfly you see in the air. Does that amaze anybody else? It amazes me. Absolutely amazing. I mean... Caterpillars, I guess, have their appeal for certain people. But they're not the most beautiful creatures. And they turn into this delicate, flying animal. The idea here is that God literally wants to take you and turn you into something greater and bigger and grander than you are. Now, I don't mean physically. I was looking through Scripture just thinking about some people that He transformed and We're reading through the Bible together as a congregation, many of us, and we've been reading a lot about the story of Moses. And Moses was kind of the shy, tentative leader. He didn't want to lead. He didn't want to be there. He kept telling God, I've got excuses. I can't do it. God said, yes, you can. No, I can't. Well, who am I going to tell him that sent me? Well, you tell him I sent you. Well, okay, I I can't talk. Well, I'll give you somebody to talk. And finally, Moses says, I don't want to do it. Send somebody else. And God says, no. And what you see as you read the story of Moses is he takes this shy, tentative man and turns him into one of the greatest leaders of all time. You think about the woman at the well that Jesus meets one day, and she is not like Moses. I mean, Moses had a little bit of a checkered past. I mean, he had killed a man, but this lady had a major checkered past. I mean, she had a past where her had... She had five unsuccessful marriages, and she was currently living with a guy that was not her husband. It was a checkered past. She was the one that everybody talked about, that they whispered about, that you didn't get near. You know so-and-so over there. Don't even think of going near her. She comes to the well that day and starts to talk to Jesus and tries to get him off on another subject, and Jesus just basically looks at her and says, it doesn't matter what you've done if you'll follow me. And that day... Jesus transforms that woman into a woman that goes into the community proclaiming who he is. The guy that wrote Romans is a guy named Paul who was Saul. 
And he was a guy that killed Christians, fought against the church, did everything he could to make sure Christianity didn't make it. And he did that until he was walking down a road one day, and God changed his life. He changed him so much, he changed his name literally from Saul to Paul. But it's not just people in the Bible. It's people today that he's changing. In the first service, I told my, my father and mom were here in the first service. And I told him that in our household growing up, one of the most polarizing figures was a guy named Deion Sanders. Anybody know Deion Sanders? The football player. He's on the NFL Network now, I think. He's a commentator. But Deion Sanders, I remember when he played for Florida State and when he played for the Atlanta Falcons. And I was growing up a Cowboys fan. And I hated Deion Sanders until he played for the Dallas Cowboys. And he was the greatest thing that ever came. My dad did not like Dion. And it was almost like, and I I know that you don't have any of these in your house, but it became the generational gap issue in our household. Well, Dad, you just don't understand Dion. Dion was one of those guys that was brash on the field. He'd tell you what he thought. He was was open with it. He He would... Tell you, he would do things on the football field that you couldn't imagine, and then he would tell you how good he was at doing it. Well, I read this week a story about Deion Sanders, and it just amazed me. I knew and I'd heard that Dion had had an experience with the Lord, but I didn't realize what had happened with him. You see, Dion, in the height of his career, in his Dallas days, said that Everybody thought he was doing well on the outside, but inside he was dying. And he says that in the midst of a terrible life situation, he ended up getting a divorce from his wife. She took custody of the kids, and he said it just left him broken. And so he began to think of ways that he could end his life. And literally, he said he drove to this place near Dallas, Texas, up on a cliff, and he parked his car, pointed towards the cliff, ready to push the accelerator to drive right off. And he said as he sat there twice doing that, that literally as he was getting ready to push the accelerator, a cop knocked on his window to see if everything was okay. And so those two times were averted. He tells about a time when he was sitting around a bunch of teammates and he took a handful of Tylenol-3. Now, I know you think, ooh, we took some Tylenol, but you know Tylenol-3 is a little different than Tylenol. And he took as much as he could in his hand and he stuffed it in his mouth and said nobody really even batted an eye. One particular night, Dion found out that his wife wasn't bringing the kids. She wasn't going to bring the kids over like she was supposed to. And so he just said, I lost it. He said, I drove off to that same cliff and this time I put the foot on the accelerator and I went off the edge. And he said, I still don't know to this day how it happened, but God somehow protected me. And lying in a bed after that incident, he said, I felt almost as if if a jet plane landed beside me. And for some reason, I just said, God, if that's you, take me. He said, in that moment, I remembered a word that a friend had told me. that said, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And he said, in that moment... I declared with my mouth what I believed in my heart. And Jesus transformed my life. Now, if you watch Dion on television, he's still brash and he's still opinionated. But if you talk to people around him, they will say it's not even like he's the same person as he was 
15 years ago. You see, God is in the transformation business. What he tells us here in Romans 6 we just read is that when you accept Christ, when you choose Him, when you are brought into His family, that you take on His characteristics, you are raised with Him, you have died with Him, that your life is no longer your own. You have been bought with the price is the idea here. And what it means is that He is transforming us. The problem is most of us look at our lives and we say, that sounds good, Pastor, but I'm not seeing that excitement or that love in my life. I found this quote this week that I thought was interesting. And he just simply says in the quote that if you are weary of some sleepy form of devotion, probably God is as weary of it as you are. And I couldn't help but think, in my life, has my life become a sleepy form of devotion? And is God as weary of my life and my devotion and the weariness that it is as I am? And I began to ask myself this question, well, how does transformation, real change, real transformation, completely different transformation happen? A couple of things that this passage tells us and that I saw. And the first one is, transformation always begins in a crisis. Verse 5 goes on and says, If we have united with Him like this in His death, we are certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now what that says in verse 5 through 7, and we need to understand, is that each of us, if we're going to see this new life, this transformation, must come to a place where we realize our old self is wrong, where we realize our old self is not what we need. Now, what does that mean? It just means we realize we've all done some junk, some bad stuff. I would ask you today how many of you have ever done anything wrong, but the truth is if you didn't raise your hand, you would have done something wrong, right? So I want to ask that today, but I want you to think about the fact that all of us, deep down in who we are, know that we are sinful people, people that do things that are not right. You know, even today as I was uh, listing off those things that I'm disappointed about in my life sometimes, even in doing that, I made myself sound a little more spiritual than I am because I don't think about that all the time. And I also didn't reveal some of those other deep things that are in my life that we all have. And what you have to understand is there has to come a point, a crisis in your life, when you realize that without God, you are not going to make it on this earth. That you're not going to make it in life after here. There has to come a moment when you are sure that God has to do something in your life and that you have messed it up completely. There are two words that I want to use today that talk about how you do that. And the first is that you have to come to a place of repentance. Now, repentance is one of those good old church words, right? And repentance just basically means that you're moving in one direction, you make a mind change in your life, and you turn and you go a different direction. It means you recalculate your life. Anybody here have a GPS system, ever been around one? GPS systems, at least mine, when I make a turn that she does not think I ought to make, She uses the same word always, which is recalculating. 
There are times when I'm on a particular journey when she will tell me recalculating several times. Now, here's the truth. I know how to get there better than that woman in the GPS box, right? At least I think I do. But the truth is that in our lives, we never know how to go better than God knows for our lives. And there are many times in my life when I find myself headed down a road going in the wrong direction, and I feel a little twinge in my spirit that says, don't you think it's time to recalculate, to think again about what you're doing and to turn? Now, what I want to talk about for just a moment is that there has to come a moment for this transformation to begin when it starts in your life. There has to come a moment when you repent before the Lord. I'll just tell you this. If you cannot remember the moment in your life when Jesus began to change you, then you need to rethink whether or not Jesus has begun to change you. I'm not talking about a day. I'm not talking about an hour. I'm not talking about circling a date on the calendar. I just mean, can you remember the moment when you began to understand Jesus was changing you? Repentance is the first part of that. The second part of that is just faith. It's believing. It's believing in who Jesus is. It believes in what He's done. And it's believing that He is the only one that can change you. Now the truth is, if you're here this morning and you have never come to a place where you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then you are in need of doing that. There is not a more important decision you will ever make than giving your heart and your life to Jesus. I know some of you are are here this morning because you're a part of our church, and if you're a part of a church, you have to go to church on Easter. That's a rule. I know some of you are here this morning, and you're not a part of our church, and perhaps you're here because it's what you do on Easter. You do go to church, and you go to church here or somewhere. Perhaps you're here, and and God has been kind of beginning to lead you in a place where you're discovering some things, asking some questions, and you're looking for a place on this Easter to find some answers from God. Let me just tell you that if you're here this morning and you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, today is the best day you can imagine to do exactly that. Today is the day of salvation. And I don't mean whether or not you've been to church or you're a good person. I don't mean whether you've done a bunch of terrible things or not. I just mean it's a day trust Jesus with your life. Here's the second thing. If you're a believer in Jesus, we need to understand that when we repent, when we ask Jesus into our heart, and in the church we call that conversion, when that happens, that that's just the beginning. Because true transformation is a process. It takes time. What it says here in in chapter 6, it says in verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Isn't that good news? No more death. Death no longer has mastery over Him. It tells us in another place that it is as if He has gone down and grabbed the keys from death and He has brought them back. In the Old Testament, when they talked of death, they talked of death in a finality that nothing else had, that nothing was stronger than death, that nothing was more final than death. When you get to the New Testament, when you get to Jesus, what He tells us is there is something stronger than death. There is something more final than death, and it is Jesus Christ Himself. 
Verse 10. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer the parts of your body as sin, as instruments, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. You are no longer under law. You are under grace. Here's the last thing I want us to understand today, and that is that transformation is a process. And that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ here today, you are not a completed project. That's a good thing. Amen? It's a good thing for me. I don't know if it's a good thing for you, but I'm not done. You know, there were those those kind of uh, bumper stickers that became cliche for a, a while that said, um, God's not finished working on me yet. Well, that is good theology. And I'm glad. But the truth is what that means is I'm not a finished product. That means there are some edges that need to be shaved off. There are some things that need to be removed. There's some trash that needs to be taken out. You know, there is... Very little in life I like less than taking out trash. Right? Some of you may love it. If you love it, call me. I will let you come to my house. All right? Now, part of the reason I don't like taking out trash is because I'm done with all that stuff. Right? Right? Anybody reuse your trash around here? I'm not talking about recycling. Anybody go in your trash and get it back out and say, whew, I'm glad I got that out. No. I mean, I'm done with it. Why do I want it anymore? And the truth is, when... When Christ saves us, we begin the process of cleaning out the trash that he's already made dead. Anybody ever left something in the trash a little too long? And it's meat or eggs or something like that. What happens? It's a wonderful smell in the house, amen? It stinks, right? Well, the truth is, the longer you leave junk in your life, the more it begins to stink. And what we've got to do is we've got to get it out. Well, how do we do that? We allow God to move through us in this transformation process. Three things. First of all, we get specific. (laughs) Being a pastor, one of the things you learn real quickly is people know how to talk to pastors. They know how to tell them what they think that I want to hear. For instance, I, I can go up to somebody and say, hey, I was just uh, wondering what's going on in your life. What's God doing in your life? God is teaching me to love Him more. God is teaching me that I've got some stuff I've got to deal with in my life. Well, God is teaching me that I've got to learn to be better towards other people. Really, who? Well, just other people. Anybody in particular? God is teaching me to love Him more. How? God's telling me i got some stuff to work on. Like what? The problem is, as Christians, we become real good at giving the spiritual answers and yet not really dealing with what God intends us to deal with. And what God wants us to do is begin to be specific about our sin. Let me just tell you, it says here that we are to count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God. The only way that we don't let sin reign in our mortal bodies, as it says in verse 12, is to identify it and to give it to God. This week I found a list, and I'm not going to read all of them because it's literally three columns. That's a full page of things that you might be dealing with. And this morning, what I want to ask you to do is just to listen. 
You may have to listen quickly, but here's the thing. Sometimes God, in the midst of a place like this, will give us selective hearing. And perhaps this morning, He wants to mention just one thing into your heart that you need to work on. Maybe it's an attitude like anger or anxiety. Maybe you're argumentative or you've got an addiction or you struggle with bigotry. Perhaps you're boastful or bossy or you cause dissension or you're controlled by emotions or peer pressure. Perhaps you covet things that others have. Perhaps you're depressed or are dependent on things, that you're envious, that you have false modesty, that you have feelings of rejection or stupidity or weakness or helplessness. Perhaps you deal with gluttony or greed or guilt. Perhaps hostility or idolatry or impatience. Perhaps you have problems with jealousy or laziness. Perhaps you're a loner or you have low self-esteem or high self-esteem. Perhaps you're materialistic or negative. Perhaps you're opinionated or overly quiet or overly sensitive to criticism. Perhaps you're passively aggressive. You're prejudiced. You're profane. Perhaps you have gossip issues. Perhaps you resent or you're self-centered or self-confident or self depreciating or self-gratifying or self-indulgent or self-justifying or you have self-pity. You rely on yourself. You're self-righteous. You're self-sufficient. Perhaps there's lust or sensuality. Perhaps temper. Perhaps vanity or being a workaholic. Or perhaps you just worry. What is it in your life that God is in the process of transforming? Get specific. The second thing is you claim your freedom. It tells us in this passage that we are no longer slaves to sin. That we have been set free from that. And in that freedom we need to be able to declare that I will no longer give in to that temptation. Now doing it in your own power won't make a bit of difference. There are people all over this world that have said I'm no longer going to give in to that temptation. And the next minute they do what give in because willpower ain't going to do it for you it's the power of christ but here's the idea he has given us that in that he has died and been raised again and we need to claim that freedom now it also means that when we claim that freedom that we daily choose him daily it says offer yourselves to god that verse reminds me of Hebrews. It talks about that we're to, I mean, excuse me, Romans 12. Just a few chapters later, in Romans 12, where it says that we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, a daily commitment to Him. Now, here's the thing it's Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday means a lot of things to a lot of people. Easter Sunday means Easter bunny and eggs and ham. Some of you right now are checking your watches to see if your ham's going to burn. It means lunch with family. It means Easter egg hunts. It means wearing pastel-colored ties when you don't normally wear ties in the second service, right? It just means different things. But the tragedy of Easter is when it means what it means for one day only. And the beauty of Easter is that when Christ rose from the grave, He didn't rise from the grave for us to have one big day to celebrate it. He rose from the grave that we may daily live in the power He provides. Now what I'm asking you today is, are you allowing Him to transform you? 
in just a moment, we're going to sing a song after I pray. And I'm going to be standing down here at the front. And if you need to come down front to pray, you need to talk to me about anything. If you need to make a first-time commitment to Jesus, you've never done that before. If in the process of reading all some of those things, there are some things you need to change in your life that God needs to do, we're going to let you come and pray or talk to me. But let me just invite you to do this. Whatever reason you may have for being here in this place this morning, let me tell you something. God's got a greater reason for you being here. And whether it's just you do what you do because it's Easter or because this is the church and this is what I do, God intends to transform you today. Would you just give the next few minutes to truly seeking what God wants to do in your life?